Oh man, I was here Thursday night listening to this group practice, and I, I tell you, I was so fired up for today. But with you guys singing with them, it was even better. It was amazing. Thank you for worshiping so well. It was beautiful. Uh, today we're going to continue in our adventure of practicing generosity. This Advent season, we have been longing to create opportunities for the one who is holy to break into the ordinary. So when we get done, it's going to be very practical. I've got some very practical steps for all of us. And uh, yeah, as Brooke mentioned a few moments ago, this is not an easy season for a lot of us. As I have an opportunity to walk with many of you going through the different things that we go through, yeah, for some of us it is the most wonderful time of year. It's Christmas fudge and Christmas carols and getting packages and all of that, and that's all good. But for some of the rest of us, this is a hard season. It's hard because you've lost someone that you love, and that may not just be in the last year. That maybe was a long time ago, but yet it just never seems quite the same without them. And for some, you, you don't even know why. You hear the carols playing on the radio. For some reason, you just break out in tears. The sadness just seems to come out of nowhere. For some of us, our sadness and our grief and our pain looks a little bit different. You're grieving some news that you maybe just heard from the doctor, or maybe the flip side of that is you are desperately searching for answers that don't seem to come. For some of us, your family, your marriage seems to be splintering and it's in trouble and you grieve that. For some of us, you might just be grieving the getting older. Your body doesn't do what it used to do and it doesn't hold up as well as it used to and it just, it just isn't very fun to get old sometimes. For some of us, our grieving is because we feel like we've got no voice. We've been passed over. No one even sees you. I think I probably covered the full gambit. I think most of us could probably say in some way, shape, or form, we might be grieving, and that's the whole point. Because my invitation for all of us is that we can sit at the feet of the Savior today who came just for you. He comes from where you are at right now. Because that's how Emmanuel works. God with us. God with you. So, over these past few weeks, we have been what we call practicing silence, and uh, we're going to do it a little bit differently today. I hope it is effective out here as what it's been in my own mind. Um, so what my hope is that I would like us to, and it's not going to be random because obviously I'm going to have them pre-planned, but much like going through your average day and taking a moment to just practice silence, I'm going to have us do that just at random moments during the sermon. Well, we're just going to literally stop almost right in the middle of what I'm talking about, and we're going to take a moment to sit quietly. Because I think that's one of the best examples for those of us that need to learn how to slow down, for those of us that need to learn to pursue, and maybe even do as Jesus taught many times. 
he went away and quietly was just with his father. So we're going to do that right now. As we learn how to pause, as we learn how to have silence and solitude to replenish, to intentionally create space in your day, we're going to start right now. So I think as we just take a moment, maybe you need to ask this simple question of your Heavenly Father. God, what is it that I need at this moment? What is it that I need at this moment? And then just be quiet. God, where am I grieving? Where do I need healing? And then just pray a simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, into that situation. So would you join me now for just a moment of just silence, just you and the Lord. Once again, we're going to be as Payson read in the 61st chapter of Isaiah, and we've been in Isaiah throughout this Advent season. Just a quick overview, again, very broad strokes here of what Isaiah is all about. The first 39 chapters, 1 through 39, are mostly about judgment. Isaiah pronouncing and warning judgment against Israel because they have broken their covenant with the Lord, that they have not obeyed him. But then there are occasional references to Isaiah giving promises of a messianic king that's to come. And then the first section of chapters, ending in chapter 39, ends with Jerusalem being destroyed. The second half of the book, from about chapter 40 through 66, are the announcement of hope and are concerned with comforting the people. In this section, Isaiah talks mostly about return. God is going to return them, to bring them home. And instead of a destroyed city, it'll be built again. God is doing for the people what they can't do for themselves. And I think that's important for us to get that big picture. He's doing for them what they can't do for themselves. They're trapped, they're in captivity, and the only way that will change is if God steps in and carries them home. And that's really the cool part about Isaiah from my perspective in a very simplistic form. It's one of the overarching themes of Isaiah is it's a picture of salvation, our salvation. Jesus enters into the depths of our slavery and he brings us back to himself. So let's take a look at Isaiah 61. I think the page numbers maybe are on the screen. If your pew Bible is 739, Spanish is in 643. I'm excited about this because this chapter was written to just a small remnant of people who had never lost hope in God's promise. It was written to encourage them, much like we just learned the book of Revelation was written as to the churches, a book of hope and encouragement to them. Isaiah is the same thing, Isaiah 61 in particular. And what I find particularly interesting, and most of you probably know this and realize this, it's Isaiah 61, the first three verses that our Lord preaches from and quotes in his very first sermon. It's where Jesus is telling those people what his ministry is all about. Luke 4. 
records that for us. And Jesus gets up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then get this, this is the cool part. He rolls up the scroll and sits down. Talk about a mic drop moment. Because he goes on. Because teachers in that day would have sat down. That's why he sat down. But he goes on and he says this, today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, man. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. So let's take a closer look at that. And I think it's actually helpful for us if we start in verse 11. Verse 11 is one of those, because this is kind of a poetic version of a vision that Isaiah had. And verse 11 says this, if you remember, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. Did you catch it? It's not quite as blatantly obvious because I never noticed it until I started studying. It's a garden theme. It's Garden of Eden imagery. That's what it's all about. In those verses that Jesus quoted, there are seven acts, seven acts that the Messiah will do to bring about this new creation that verse 11 is talking about, to bring us back to the garden. And after we studied Revelation and many of you other places, the number seven should be waving its arms at you going, pay attention, what does it remember? Seven is complete in Scripture. So this is the complete story of what the Messiah is going to do to bring us back to Eden. So how does it start? It says, proclaim or bring good news in verse 1. Before that, before that, did you notice the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me? Isn't that a beautiful picture of a triune God right out of the chute? Spirit, Lord, and Jesus is saying it, me, all three of the Trinity. Anyway, proclaim the good news, because most of the time the Hebrew word for good news is used in a military reference or context. It's an announcement that a military victory has been won. The evil one, the one who has suppressed all of us, has been defeated. The victory has already been won. That's what Jesus is saying right out of the chute. I have already won. I've come to announce that I'm victorious. It's done. Verse 1 goes on, bind up the brokenhearted. Remember, to a Hebrew person, the heart is at the epicenter of everything that you are. It's how you think. It's how you deliberate. So it's important to know when we're referring to brokenhearted that Jesus isn't just talking about people who are sad or depressed. He's talking about people broken in any way, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, the full gambit of brokenness, the full gambit of what we are in our lives. And God has sent the Messiah That's the beauty of this passage. God has sent the Messiah to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal them, to give them what they can't have on their own. It goes on, the Messiah came to proclaim freedom for the captives, 
People bound by sin, people bound by the law. Christ came to give them freedom. Verse two goes on and it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is from the old Leviticus 25 passage where the year of the Jubilee. Some of you may be familiar with it, but it was a practice that Moses put in with the Israel way back in the day where every 50 years, Israel would take the year off. In addition to that, all the ancestral land would be returned, all the debts were canceled, the servants would be freed. Generally, the idea was take the year off and just be kind and generous to each other. That was everybody's job for the whole year. Now here's the real beautiful thing about Old Testament stuff if you start to understand it. That process, that practice foreshadowed the liberation of the cross. Because the Messiah's work is essentially, he is here to jubilee us. The cross cancels all our debts. It goes on where it says, comfort those who mourn. Last week, Kathy talked a lot about mourning and the Hebrew word for mourning, groaning and sighing. And just it's, it's more than just a kind of a passing, but it's a deep felt groan and sigh of mourning with someone as they are experiencing loss. And here's where I think it gets really interesting for us. The text goes on in verse three, it describes how the Messiah will give those who are being oppressed new clothes. And not just any clothes, but the clothes that are mentioned in verse three are priestly garments. And then he's gonna anoint them with oil. The Messiah is duplicating himself Clothing a crew of anointed ones. Oh boy, this sounds like it's our calling. Clothing a crew of anointed ones who are going to share in his mission. Now let's remember priests from way back, their purpose was to serve the nations on behalf of God and serve God on behalf of the nations. They would act like a bridge between God and the people. Then if you go on verse four, it says they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Gospel liberated people become a creative force for restoration. Or I put it a little more simple way, the mourners of verse three become the repair experts of verse four. Friend, that's our mission. You're going to hear this mission statement so often, but boy, is it true. Everyone, every day, helping one another experience life-giving freedom in Jesus. We're all to be priests. We've all been anointed, if you will. We've all been dressed in priestly garb. When we said yes to Jesus, he gave us a new set of clothes. And then verse four where it says rebuild, I gotta tell you, my mind goes immediately to my favorite book of the Bible, and this may surprise you, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 has been kind of my life chapter. If you're not familiar with it, I'll just turn a couple pages over, we'll kind of give you the recap. The first uh, five verses or so are not so good. And I'm not going to read them, but it's basically just saying the, the people of Israel have 
fasted and they're looking for all these great rewards and their fast hasn't been true. Their fast, true worship is more than just empty, uh, empty religious ritual. And God is saying, what is this that you're doing? This is not what I'm asking of you. They missed the point. So here's where I've been a little convicted this week. And this is a tough one because I don't have... I'm not even fearful that this is going on. I just feel like it's important to say. We did some beautiful things as a church family the last couple weeks, agreed? Reverse offering, and that's still going on. Man, to see the joy and the, and the food and the blessing that that's going to be, wonderful things. But because we're sinful, there's always a tendency to have a good thing turn bad. Because it's not about, oh, look at what Third Church has done. Oh, look at how good we are. We filled the shelves at the food shelf. Oh, look, we're, I mean, there are some wonderful blessings, so don't hear what I'm not saying, please. But I think right now I'm going to have us do one of those moments of silence. I think right now in the quietness of your own heart, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple, search me and know my heart, O Lord. Jesus, I'm here. Father, help me be present with you. Just show me if my motives are pure or where I'm at. So I'm just going to ask us to just take a moment and do that right now together in the quietness of your own heart. Chapter 58 goes on. Verse 6 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor and wanderer with shelter? Oh, this is starting to sound really familiar. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing finger and malicious talk and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like a noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. You will be like a well-watered garden. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of the streets with dwellings. Here's the deal. In order to understand that, you have to get a picture of what Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah oftentimes in his writings refers to gardens or vineyards. And here's what you have to picture because it's not like what we would see. And there should be a picture popping up on the screen here at some point. These are called gons, G-A-N. They are like tiered vineyards 
with rock walls in between. So each family would own a section of a gone. So my section right here would be the Vandaloon section. If I go down a couple of rows or down one level, that might be the Van Gorp section. If I go down another level, that might be the Godike section. Now here's what you need to understand. Because the good of the community is only as good as we watch out for each other's walls. Because my wall that I personally own is below me. It's below my feet. I can't see when the rocks are falling out. I can't see when it's in repair, it needs repair. I need to rely on my neighbor to do that. So as I'm going through life, I say, oh wow, look, the Van Gorp's wall is in a little bit of disarray. I need to step in and I gently and tenderly with just the right rocks rebuild his wall. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. Because what happens if you don't do that the first time the rains come and the wall is dis in disarray, it may not be yours, but because your neighbor's is above you, the whole community gets wiped out. So friends, This Advent season, as we are longing to create opportunities for the one as holy to break into the ordinary, will you be a wall builder? Will you be one who is going to restore your neighbor's wall? Last week, Kathy asked us, what barriers are there that keep us from seeing God fully? And how can we clear a path? May I suggest this morning, it's simply taking the time to notice your neighbor's wall. Obviously, we don't have walls per se. But I think that's one of the beauties of practicing an idea of quiet and solitude and slowing down. I think that's part of the reason why God and Jesus in his humanity, because he did this practice so often, he could see the hurting. He could see the ones that were grieving. He could see the outcasts. And that's what he's called us to do, to repair our neighbor's wall. Because here's the really cool thing. We talk a lot about God's upside-down kingdom. First shall be last. In order to live, you must die to yourself. On and on. There's a lot of that kind of conversation in God's upside-down kingdom. Here's the really interesting thing. By building up and restoring walls, we're actually removing barriers. Think about that. That kind word you spoke when someone couldn't even get the words out as they were talking about some things going on in their life, but you took the time to notice? Or how about that time you were in the high V aisle and as that conversation went, you could see the tears start to well up. And rather than just a token, I'll pray for you, you prayed right then and there by the broccoli. Sometimes, and this has been one of the lessons I've learned as I've been part of the care team, sometimes repairing your neighbor's wall 
involves not saying a thing. It's just being there. But will you, will I notice? In the busyness of life, will we notice our neighbor's wall? Will we take the time to step up? And here's the beauty of these rocks. I've got some rocks that I'm going to invite you to take one along with you today. And here's the beauty. There are some that have really poor penmanship. Those are all mine. (laughs) But the point is, I'm trying to think of how I could make this make sense. But the point is, you don't have to be perfect in your penmanship on here or as you develop and put your rock into the wall of your neighbor. It's just doing the best that you can using how God's gifted you to make a difference in your neighbor's life. Because when we see our world crumbling around us, and we talk about that, maybe not all the time, but it seems like it's an ever under, it's a, a common theme of a lot of conversations that I have around the community, is that the world seems to be falling apart. Guess what? The walls are crumbling. It's time that you and I step up and start repairing our neighbor's walls. And you know what? Much like in Israel in the hot of summer, I'm sure wall repairing was not easy, probably even not fun in some cases. And it's not going to be in some cases as you step into that as well. You know, one last thought. Oh, baby, it's got to be a quick one. Back to Jesus' first sermon in Luke. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but I just thought it was really fun. And I thought it was really challenging and convicting to me. Back in Jesus' first sermon, I don't know if you remember this, so I'm going to try to summarize it really quickly. At the very end, he sits down and the scripture tells us they were amazed. Four verses later, it says they were ready to kill him. What happened? What happened in four short verses? In a nutshell, here's what happened. Jesus referred to a story about Elijah and one about Elisha. And he was referring to two people that they were helping that were not like them. They were outsiders. So they went from saying, Jesus, that was amazing, to Jesus, we want to kill you, because he was talking about doing something for people that were outside their clan. I was convicted by that. Because am I willing to only do wall repair for those that think like me, act like me, dress like me, vote like me? I don't think that's the picture Jesus was just painting. As he was telling and describing what his ministry would be about, it was going to be, and we learn this in Revelation, there's going to be a mass of people who don't look like us, think like us, dress like us, vote like us. So how about us? But can I say, also in my year and a half of serving and watching, thank you. Many of you are absolutely amazing at how you love and how you care for your neighbor and your friends and your family that are part of our church and beyond. You gently and lovingly walk with your family and friends. Thank you. 
well done, and keep it up. And I ran across this as I kind of finished my thoughts up here. It was a quote that I thought, okay, this would be kind of a cool idea, so hang with me. The quote says this, can we be a church where tears flow freely, but the floors stay dry? Think about that. Where the tears flow freely, because they're going to. That's just the way life is. We're all at one point or another going to have those moments. But can the floor stay dry? The tears are going to fall, but they just won't hit the floor because you know what? We're like this. We're arm in arm. We're crying on each other's shoulders. We're like this as a church family. And as we cry and as we grieve together, the tears never hit the floor. Oh, man. That, friends, is what we're called to be and to do. Everyone, every day, helping one another experience the life-giving freedom of Jesus. Oh, what a picture. As we wrap up, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to encourage you. There's a lot of different things that you might want to participate in during these last couple of songs. So there's going to be hopefully lots of activity, lots of movement. To start with, we're going to have our normal prayer ministers. And maybe this morning is the morning where you receive the blessing of a soaking prayer. You don't even have to say anything. Just ask them to do a soaking prayer over you. Maybe, maybe I think they're going to have anointing oil. Maybe you would like to signify that you are an anointed priest and you physically have them anoint your forehead with oil. Maybe you'd like, there's cards over here by the prayer bowls by the cross. Maybe you want to just literally write out what it is that you're griefing. Bring that to Jesus and bring that to him at the cross. How about this? Could you literally be a wall builder if you know of somebody right now You've had conversations with them, but you've done the, oh, I'll pray for you. Go right now across the room and actually pray for them while we're singing. And how about communion? Oh, friends, Kathy said, Eliza, there are some of the holiest moments that we all experience with our own families around the table. What better way to, to just slow down and have a meal with Jesus to bring your grief, to bring your pains to him. And then finally, both in the front and then there's a table in the back, I'd encourage you to just grab one of these stones just as a way to remember. I've had one for since I fell in love with this chapter. I've had one in my office. I've got one in my car. Wherever it is that you need to be reminded to rebuild and to build up your neighbor's walls, I would encourage you to take that as a reminder.